tonight to the final chapter of the book of Ezra. We've made it to the end, so to speak, and uh, again, it's been a long, long study. Uh, I think there's been about 18 different messages we've had just out of the book of Ezra, so this will be the final one tonight. And uh, next week, um, Brother Rivera will be preaching, so looking forward to that. And after that, uh, Pastor Dustin will uh, began a new study on Sunday night. So, looking forward to having those different men speak. And again, just uh, again, take the Word of God and divide it to where we're able to learn something and apply it. So, last week we finished up with chapter number 9. We began by looking at chapters, uh, chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, with the regards of Ezra's prayer, and we labeled it the shame. Ezra's heart was melting due to the heaviness of the sin that was around him, and he wasn't something that he was just going to sweep away or, or look the other way and not address the situation. Ezra, again, as you recall, was prostrate in his position of prayer, revealing the putrid sins of the people. Again, understanding how important it is uh, that we are to go to God in our prayer and uh, again, pray for other people as, as the scripture reminds us and encourages us to do so, that we are to bear one another's burdens and uh, again, to pray for one another. Uh, verse number six mentioned, our trespasses is grown up into the heavens. Again, the things that they were praying about, the things that they were addressing had become so bad in the nation of Israel that their sins didn't even make them blush, the Bible says. This is not something that was new to them. It was something that they had continued to do. As verse number 7 pointed out, it was a past problem. And thankfully, the Lord is always there to forgive. He wants our relationship restored. And that is why in verses 8 and 9, we saw the space of grace. Uh, no one is perfect. Believe it or not, no one here is perfect. No one does everything right all the time. So again, it's something that we've got to, to be thankful for that... Uh, we have that remnant, as the Bible speaks about, the, the, the church family that is there to help us, encourage us to continue to follow him, to continue to do what we are to do. And uh, again, I'm thankful for the church that God has placed me in. Again, the remnant that we have here is very important to me. And uh, again, I can't thank the Lord enough for it. And uh, as we again serve the Lord... We have the same response because we have the same word. And that's what it was addressing there is the nail mentioned in that chapter as being the word of God. We believe the Bible is the most valuable tool we have as believers. And it brings us to the uh, a repair of desolation, as verse number 9 says, the idea of restoration. And so with that, they say... Uh, uh, what do we say about our sins, or what shall we say, as verses 10 and 11 said? Well, we excuse, uh, what excuse do we give be, because of the sins that we've committed? Oftentimes, well, we make up things, or we say things to justify what we've done, and the nation of Israel was no different there. Um, and again, the only thing that we or the nation of Israel could do is to follow the instructions that were given. Going back to the sin that Ezra was addressing again at the beginning of this chapter was the intermarriage between the Jews and those of the, the land that they were dwelling in. The command that God had told them to uh, again abstain from and having a marriage covenant was important, but yet they decided to go their own way and do their own thing. They were breaking the law that God had established. And again, Ezra had gone back and made this an inclusive prayer. He said many times, just in those couple verses, he mentions us and our repeatedly, again, identifying that uh, this is a problem within the nation. He included himself. He was inclusive in that prayer that we are going to fix this. We are guilty and we are going to come together. We're going to rectify and fix this situation. But finally, Ezra asked in verse number 15, who can stand? 
who cannot stand before, or excuse me, we cannot stand before a righteous God in our sin and expect Him to bless us. A lot of people have that mentality and thinking, well, it doesn't matter, uh, God is still going to be there. <clears throat> Again, we cannot do that with God. We cannot have a relationship with God if we are still consumed with and committing sin. It doesn't work that way. As much as we want, it's not how God operates. That is what we looked at last week. So this week, as we come to this final chapter, um, and Ezra, uh, you're looking at it probably thinking, wow, there's 44 verses in here. That's a lot to cover in one night. Amen. Yes, we're going to do it all. So pack, a, pack your lunch. We're ready for it now. Uh, we're just going to cover a few verses again. If you look at 18 through 44, those are uh, the entire list of names that I had mentioned before, the uh, 113 names of those that were falling into this sin. And we'll not take time to read all those names. Plus, you know how great I am with reading names. But uh, we're going to cover the first few verses. Again, there's some important facts that I want us to look at tonight as we look at this final chapter. But before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll get into the message of this evening. Lord, again, we do thank you for those that have given up their time once again tonight. Lord, to want to come back to church, to open up your word again, to draw from it what we need. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen, to be attentive, but also to apply what it is we hear. Many times, Lord, we may read the Word of God, we may hear it preached and taught, but uh, seldom do we take time to apply those things that you have given us. And Lord, it's so important that we do that. And I pray that you would help us again as believers to draw from it what we need today and to, again, apply it where we're at right now. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to hearts as only you can this evening. Help us to understand this portion of Scripture, and uh, we certainly will give you the praise and honor for it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your blessings. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come here to the final chapter, I hope again that you've learned something about maybe the Jewish people that you didn't know before. But more importantly, maybe you've learned something about yourself. You learned something about your own life and what you need to fix or change, correct, and whatever it is. Because our relationship with God is, is very important. It should be the most important relationship we have. And that's going to influence every decision that we make if it's the true relationship we are to have. But I want you to notice here, again, the first verse that we find here, uh, and I've mentioned this many times throughout the book of Ezra, was number one, is Ezra's prayer. Ezra's prayer. Look with me again at verse number one, if you would, chapter number 10. Now, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of the Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. I know we've covered this many times in, in other chapters about his prayer and getting more detailed about what was going on. But the writer, again, uh, places the importance on what Ezra did. He prayed. This is something we cannot stress enough is our prayer life. Prayer is one of the most important decisions, most in, important things as believers we need to be a part of. Our time spent in the prayer closet sh should be one of the sweetest times we have with the Lord. And it goes right along with our Bible study. It goes hand in hand. How is it that we continue to go to God in prayer, asking for this and asking for that, but yet we don't take time to read the Word of God to get God's answers? Too many times I think people do that. Well, I prayed about it. God says, well, I'm giving you the answer. It's right here. But we won't take time to get in it. We won't look at it. We won't study it as commanded by Scripture. We just expect uh, God to write it in the clouds or send us an email or a text. I wish it was that simple sometimes, but it's not. We've got to understand by faith to draw from it as we draw closer to the Lord that He can give us what it is we need, the answers to the questions we have in life. We must, uh, again, make both of these a priority in our life. But notice Ezra didn't point fingers. 
He could have easily gone to the nation of Israel for showing up and seeing what was going on and, and seeing all the different sins. And, and again, as it was addressed back in the previous chapter, the intermarriage that was going on, he could have come down off his pedestal and said, Hey, Dustin, you've got some problems. But hey, let me tell you, this is what it is, and lay it out for you. And by the way, uh, you're not exempt either. I've got some for you, and, and you, and you, and oh, we're not even going to go there. Uh, and, and gone down the line and, and reveal it to all of them. And again, he probably would have been right in doing that. God would have showed him, hey, this person and that person. But what did he do? He didn't point fingers. Understand, we're not to point fingers either. Uh, is anybody here the Holy Spirit? No, that's not our job. But so many times we want to fix everybody's problems, don't we? Well, if they would have just come and asked me, man, I could tell them what it is. That's not our responsibility. That's not our job. If we know something is out there, if we understand there's problems, what should we do? Do just what Ezra had done. Falling prostrate before the Lord God. Again, crying out, Lord, help them in their time of need. Help them with the sin that they are committing, that they're not going to fall back into it. But it's so easy for us to look at other people's problems to fixate on what it is they're doing wrong instead of thinking about what we're doing. Again, when we ask God to take care of it, it eliminates any speculation. It get rid of, get, gets rid of the hearsay, if you would, and any other problem that be arise. But it also, God can do a better job than we can because he knows what's going to correct it in your life. Because all of us are different, are we not? Um, anybody's got kids understand you can't discipline them all the same way it just doesn't work you've got to see what's wrong and what affects each one so it's important that we understand Lord help this person help that person uh, whatever the sin is in their life I pray that you would fix that plus if God does it then we won't get blamed for what happens right <laughs> if I say something oh preacher knows what it is no I don't know um but again, God can fix that. He can do a much better job than we can. But Ezra didn't point fingers. He simply prayed. He prayed. Simple prayer went to God, pouring out his heart. He talked with him, sharing the concerns about what was happening to the people. Again, we saw back in chapter number 9 that he professed, that he felt prostrate before all the people. His actions moved the congregation there, as we just read in verse number 1, to weep and address the issue which brought about, number 2 tonight, Shechaniah's proposal in verses 2 through 4. What a name. Could you imagine having that name? I just call me Shaq. I'm, I'm not Shaq. Anyway, but Shechaniah was his name. Look at verses 2 through 4 with me. It says, And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God. Notice the pronouns there. Our God. And have taken strange wives and of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee be of good courage and do it. The outward reaction to the sins that were being done there in Jerusalem brought by Ezra to his knees, again, because of the sins of other people. Others had finally noticed and began to acknowledge the problem. They may not have wanted to do anything about it, but now they're not turning a blind eye to it anymore. They're at least 
pay, paying attention. They're focusing because it's affecting somebody besides them. No doubt the people had seen what was going on. Uh, uh, again, they knew those that had married in other uh, other nations, um, people of strange wives, as it's mentioned here uh, again and again, and they had broken God's law. They didn't, may not have participated in it, some of it, but they knew it was happening, and they decided, uh, again, just to look away, to not even notice what was going on. But we also see here that finally somebody had the gall to speak out. That's what happened in verse number 2. Again, Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, we have trespassed against our God. Again, he included himself in that prayer, including himself in that confession of what was going on. Shechaniah was the son of Jael, one of the sons of Elam. But who was he? Who was this individual named Shechaniah? If you went back and look in Ezra chapter 8, verse number 3, you'll find that he's one of the ones that came with Ezra. So he hadn't been there very long. But we also can look in chapter 10, Verse 26, look there if you would. Ezra chapter 10 and verse 26. And the sons of Elam, Mathaniah, Zechariah, and Jael, and Iddai, Ibadai, and Jamoth, and Elah. Elah, 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 whatever, that guy. So who are these people? These were Shechaniah's dad. And uncles listed on these 113 names of those that were participating <clears throat> and following this ritual of marrying strange wives. How hard could it have been for Shechaniah to reveal, hey, Dad, hey, Uncle Bob, or whatever their names are, you're doing wrong. It hit close to home. It was something that was brought up. Wait a minute. My... My dad's name's on that list. My uncle's names are on that list. Again, it mentions that <clears throat> Elam, Shechaniah's grandpa, Shechaniah was speaking against dad and his uncles. You know, it's hard to speak out against someone, especially when it's part of your own family. It's hard to recognize it, but you know what? It doesn't change what God has already established. And there's a lot of people today that, that get caught up in that, well, my family's involved, so I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to change my ways because I'm involved this way. God doesn't do that. As hard as it is, you've got to learn to stick with what Scripture gives us. That's the greatest form of witness that we can give anyone. Not to fall in line with what the world says or what they want, but sticking to what we know is right and the truth of the Word of God. That is what's going to help them understand what is true and what is right. It's going to help them draw to the Lord because you are taking a stand for what the Bible says. Whether we like it or not, it doesn't change the fact of what God has already given us. Shechaniah speaks out again, taking ownership, just as Ezra had done in his prayer saying, We have trespassed. He shares with everyone that there is a sin in the camp, and more importantly, there's hope. There's hope. There's one of the most amazing and exciting truths of the Word of God. There's hope. No matter how deep the hole you're in, God's grace is big enough to help us out of it. Hope is something I can cling to again and again. There is hope. But that hope can only come if we submit to God. Look at verse number 3 again. Now therefore let us 
make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as were born unto them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. So again, he was saying, let's make a covenant. Let's make a, a mutual agreement to put away the sins that have plagued the nation. This was the same thing that they looked at in a godly uh, leadership for help and counsel. Again, he mentions my Lord. It's not capitalized there. Again, it's referencing uh, to a leader there. He's like, Lord, uh, my Lord, the one that's leading us, the one that's here, uh, I'm going to follow you. You've given us great godly counsel. You've given us direction in our life. I want to follow you because, again, that's what God has given us. And it's the same thing we've got to think about today and look at. Are we following the counsel that we have been given by the Word of God? Are we looking to the Lord and helping us through our times of trouble? This counsel is something that all of us are able to do. Thankfully, we live in the church age. The dispensation of, of grace to where each one of us today, if you're saved, have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And with that, we are able to offer that same godly counsel. Because the Holy Spirit is living in us and we're allowing Him to control and direct our lives. A lot of times there are people today that are not focusing on that. They're not allowing the Spirit to lead them as they should. And they're not getting the right kind of counsel. But if we would stick true to what the Word of God says, to continue to follow His Word and His will, then we would be able to give that same godly counsel. James reminds us in James chapter 4, verse number 7, says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice that first step is for us to submit. It's not for us to sit back and say, wait, uh, I'm ready for the Lord. Come on, give it to me. He says, no, submit. We're to make that initial step, just like salvation, just like sanctification. Everything is started by us making that initial step toward the Lord. So we've got to understand and remember that. It seems so simple, yet it's one of the most difficult things to overcome in life. Because of our sinful nature, we want to run everything. We want to be the ones in control. I want to make sure everything is done the way I think it should be done instead of the way God wants it done. And because of our sinful nature, things often don't work out the way they should. But if we would learn to, again, just submit, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, let me surrender myself to you and allow your will to be done. Shechaniah spoke out, inviting everyone to submit to God and then he said, he stand up. Look at verse number four. It says, Arise, for this matter belongeth unto thee, and also will be with thee, be of good courage, and do a check. And I was addressing Ezra, who again was still lying prostrate. He was still bowing himself before God, uh, wanting God to control and direction in his life. And he said, hey, Ezra, get up. We're going to submit to God. We're going to follow God just like you said to do. We're behind you 100%. And there's a lot of people that need to learn to stand up. They need to learn to, again, get back in touch with what God wants them to do. To follow Him and not follow self. We as a nation have got in this mess together. And we as a nation, we're going to get out of it. You're going to help us. You're going to lead us. And we're going to follow you. And this burden was something that Ezra had to deal with in his own. 
There were others who were willing to make the right, uh, make things right in the eyes of God. It's difficult sometimes to realize that there are others around you that are still fighting the spiritual battle. We often get caught up in the, the Lone Ranger mentality. If you don't know who that is, kids, go ask your mom and dad. Maybe they'll tell you. Uh, the Lone Ranger, I'm fighting by myself. I'm here all alone, and, and no one is there to help me. But again, we've got to remember what chapter 9 talked about, the remnant. We have others around us here this evening that are here to help. We are, should be having that desire to want to help one another. So it's important that we've got others around us. We're not here to fight this on our own. The Lord is always there. The Lord had said He would never leave us nor forsake us. He is there to help us as we fight through these battles. We must remember that He is always there. The phrase, be of good courage, is something that we find throughout Scripture. Uh, used to encourage others as they continue to fight the good fight of faith. If you would go back and look, Moses used this to encourage Joshua as he takes the reins of the leadership of the nation of Israel. Oh, I needed more than just be of good courage, but that's what Moses told him quite again, uh, over and over again, hey, be of good courage, be of good courage. So what did Joshua use as they were fighting the battles? He used the same thing. He used it to encourage the people as they entered the promised land. Hey, be of good courage. You continue on, Samuel uses it, David said it, the psalmist wrote it, and the prophet Isaiah shares it. All throughout Scripture we see this, be of good courage. The statement can be said for each one of us as well. Be of good courage and do it. Whatever God has called you to do, do it. Again, Shechaniah's proposal brought about in verses 5 through 8 was Israel's promise. Number 3 tonight is Israel's promise as we look at verses 5 through 8. It says, Then arose Ezra and made the chief priests and the Levites and all of Israel to swear that they should do according to this world, or excuse me, to this word, and they swear. And Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elishab. And when he came thither, he did eat no bread nor drink water. For he mourned because of the transgressions of them that had been carried away. And they made proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together into Jerusalem and that whosoever should not come into the, within three days according to the counsel of the princes and of the elders, all this substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation of those that had been carried away. So Ezra again rises up from again having his face uh, planted before God, again humbling himself in that state of repentance. And he, as he looks to leadership for Israel, he's the one that they're focusing on. Hey, we're going to follow you. Uh, we're going to lead and, and we're just going to do what you say. A lot of times we look at that and we wonder, how is it that, that Ezra had this position in, in, in leadership? How was it that he was able to do what the Scripture was saying? Again, we look at his position. We look at a lot of different things that he was giving as far as what his uh, place was in the nation of Israel. But God puts leaders in our way. God puts leaders in our life to help us, to give us direction, to follow the Lord. And hopefully they are doing that. If not, then you've got the wrong kind of leaders. Again, it's important that we study Scripture, that we are able to keep one another accountable to following God in whatever way He dictates and helps us. But verse number 5, we read that they swear. Hey, we're going to do whatever you say. I've kind of heard this before. 
Again, if you've studied anything with the nation of Israel, this is something that they've done over and over and over again. They agreed to do whatever was proposed to them, and they made a promise to do it. We find today that there are many people that are no longer sticking to their word. They no longer have that bond. I remember it used to be when, when you shook a man's hand and you said, I was going to do it. That was your word. That was your bond. And there was nothing that was going to break that. Nowadays, it's a little different. If you don't have everything written out in triplicate on a purple piece of paper uh, signed by the president, it's not going to do you any good. And it's sad that it's become that way. But, you know, it used to be a handshake and an agreement and everything was taken care of. But they swear, they said, oh, we're going to follow you. We're going to do whatever you say. And, and that's that. Be careful when you swear an oath or a vow of vow unto God. Again, a lot of people do this and they're not aware of what happens and what God has required of us. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 21 says, When thou vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. You make a vow to the Lord, you better hold up to your end of the bargain. Because if not, God looks at that as being a sin. And again, that separates us from God and creates problems. So again, we've got to make sure that we're following the Lord in whatever way we say. This should be something we should keep, not just with the Lord, but with one another as well. When you say you're going to do something, you should do it. Again, the Lord is, is telling us to, to tell your yay be yay and your nay be nay, but too many times we come up with an excuse. Well, I would, but I, uh, I'm sorry this came over, or whatever. And I understand things happen. But it, uh, again, it's one of those ideas of uh, technology. Hey, something came up, I'm just not able. But we've got to make sure that we're following through with what God wants us to do. James chapter 5, verse number 12 says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay be yea, or nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Don't promise something to someone and not follow through with what you've said. The Israelites promised back in Exodus, All that the Lord hath said we will do. We've heard this before. Yet we find them falling back away from God, being disobedient, following their own path, their own way so many times. This proposal came with a consequence. If they did not gather in Jerusalem within three days, their substance would be forfeited and that they would be separated from the congregation. That's what verse number 8 says. Can you imagine, again, you've traveled from Babylon, you've come back to your hometown, and you have a place, you've been given property that belonged to your family, but yet, if you're not going to meet up within three days and talk about this issue, we're scratching you off the book. You're losing everything. You're going to lose your property. You're going to lose your rights. You're not going to be able to go to the temple and worship, again, which was very important for them back in those days. Why was he able to do that? Why was Ezra given this right to take away these privileges that were part of the nation of Israel? And how could he take away their land and not go to the, the temple to worship? Well, we, again, we understand that Ezra was a, the, 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 the priest and the scribe of the land. So he had the right to do that uh, in order to worship. But also, if you remember, remember he was given the right from the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, that he was to rule. And whatever he said goes. So he had the right, even backing up from the king, to do this. This was the council of the princes and elders that was mentioned there in verse number 8. Today would be, uh, we're not going to excommunicate anybody. We don't do that in a church. But again, what is it that separates us, that keeps us from following God as we know Scripture tells us? 
Today we use what is called church discipline. And it's one of those things that a lot of times churches no longer like to do or want to do. But what's the purpose behind that? The whole intent behind church discipline is to bring somebody back into fellowship with God. It's not to separate them from the church. It's not to, to cause them to be an outcast. It's not to, to look at them in a bad way or uh, to, to treat them differently. It's a way to draw them back to God. It's a way to get them back in line where they need to be. And that's why as you study scripture, it tells you what you're to do and how you're to do it. And it's important that you follow that way. But too many times today, we just excuse things and say, well, it's okay. It's, it's, uh, we're not going to look at it. We're not going to do this. But it, any sin that we do hurts the Lord. We understand that. But it also hurts the church. So this is why it's important that we follow through with what God has given us. But finally tonight, we come to the plan put into action, verses 9 through 17. Number four, the plan put into action. The, the order had been set and everyone was to meet in Jerusalem. And now the day was December 19th, 459 B.C. It's amazing you can go back and, and get this information and go right back to the day. This is when it was to happen. This was what was going to go on. It had been five months since Ezra had arrived in Jerusalem. And now it was the rainy season. The rain began to fall as well as the temperature. Everyone was seated in the street to hear how this would play out. And as you read that, you'll see different bits and pieces about understanding that. But in verse number 10, we see the crime had been announced. Look at verse number 10 with me. And Ezra the priest stood up and said unto them, Ye have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespasses of Israel. Not only has your crime come against you, but it's been placed against the entire nation of Israel. You've taken strange wives. You've made a covenant with those who the Lord had instructed you not to deal with. So not only have you trespassed individually, but you've added to the iniquity of the nation. Many times in our lives we commit sin and think we're okay. We're the only ones that are affected by our sin. But sin affects many more people than you think and realize. There's things that we say, well, I did it in private or I did it in dark. Nobody knows. It's still going to affect other people. It affects your mind. It affects your fellowship. It affects a variety of different things that oftentimes we are not aware of. This is why, again, we find reminders throughout Scripture to keep from following and going into those areas to, to stay away from sin. But yet we get caught up and we get pulled back into it very easily. Many of you probably have heard sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And it's so important that we understand that we as adults oftentimes can look at that and say, yeah, I can see that more than what I did when I was younger or when I was caught up in this or distracted by that. And it's so easy to get caught up in those things because Satan is making it available and he's trying to, to push you back into it. So again, it's important that we understand to pull away. We need to make sure we're staying faithful to the Lord. The crime against God had been announced. And with that, we find in verse number 11, the confession was the answer. Look at verse 11 with me. Now, therefore, make confessions unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Confess to the Lord God and be obedient to his will. This is the same answer that we find that we need to follow today. This is the same type of command we need to understand in our lives. Our confessions are ways to restore our fellowship with God. It's a way to make our relationship right again. We think 
Again, only the big sins is what needs to be confessed before God, but that's not true. Any and all sin needs to be confessed. Any and everything we do against God needs to go back to Him as a way of confession, making those things right. David said in Psalms chapter 32, verse number 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquities have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Salah. So again, he made sure he went back. All of his sins, his transgressions, all the things that he had done wrong, he's confessing to God. We need to make sure we're doing the same thing. No matter how small they are or how insignificant they may seem to us, it's important to God that we confess that and make it right. Then we find in verse number 12, the congregation acknowledged what they must do. Look at verse number 12. Then all the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, as thou hast said, we must do. So must we do, excuse me. When we acknowledge the sin in our lives, we should help us, again, refrain from doing it again. Uh, we're taking ownership of the things in our lives. We've, we see what we have done wrong. And Lord, help me not to fall back into that same trap. I see what it is. I see where it's pulling me and how it's uh, taking hold of my life. Help me not to go back and do it again. This is the idea of, of confessing it, taking ownership of what it is. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to acknowledge what I've done wrong. That's part of our confession. We've got to make sure we acknowledge that. We are confessing that to God. Lord, I've done wrong. But there's a lot of times people have become callous to their sins. They ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And this can hinder their walk and their fellowship with God. This all seems like an easy plan, doesn't it? But it's so difficult to do oftentimes. When we don't confess it when we don't make it right we can easily fall right back into it we all know this is not the way things usually happen but in verse number 15 we find that there would be some that would not submit or to repent the word employed there verse number 15 says this is the idea of standing against something or someone so Ezra had made it known this is what happened this is the, the what we need to do and there's some people that are like wait a minute I like where I'm at I like the sin I'm committing. I like the people and I'm around. I'm not going to follow your ways. And you know, we still have that same thing today. That same problem is still uh, flowing throughout many churches today where people are, are content where they are at. Instead of trying to draw closer to the Lord, instead of again surrendering ourselves to follow His will, we become complacent and comfortable. I like everything like it is. Don't change a thing. You know what? Satan says, great, I'm not going to change a thing. I want you to be that way. I don't want you to do anything for God. So the, the, the more lackadaisical you are about it, the better off and easier it is for me. And that's exactly what Satan does in our lives. He keeps us that way. So we're not going to follow what God wants. But this brings us to a pivotal point. Are we willing to turn and repent and follow the Lord? We could continue with this chapter and see the number five would be the guilty people. I've got to keep the P in there. The guilty people, again, the 113 that are listed in verses 18 through 44 of all the ones that have committed this intermarriage problems. They had taken these strange wives and some are willing to, to make things right and some were not. When we, again, take time to confess... When we want restoration done in our lives with God, it takes a bit big commitment. It's hard. It's difficult for a lot of people to actually do that. To understand that, yes, I am in the wrong. 
and God is right. Many times we think, well, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm right. But there's still some things we've got to fix. Understand God is perfect. Everything he does is perfect and right. And the easier we can understand that, the better off we would be in following him. Where are you when it comes to confession and restoration? How often do we stop and examine all that we do to make sure we are following God and what he's given us? Again, it's something we need to stop and consider and think. Is my relationship right with God? Am I following through with the example that we've been given through this entire book of our prayer life, of our position with it is with God? And are we following what He wants us to do? Whole book of just that. Hopefully it didn't take us 17 or 18 weeks to figure it out, but again, to stop and think about what is it that God wants me to do and am I willing to follow it to the very end. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight again. As we ask this question,